Today's episode is brought to you by Retromania Wrestling. Retromania Wrestling is inspired by the awesome early 90s arcade wrestling action. The roster of this game includes both wrestling legends and stars from today, including Hawk and Animal, The Road Warriors, Tommy Dreamer, reigning NWA champion Nick Aldis, Matt Cardona, and even the Blue World Order. There's a story mode, there's an arcade mode, you can do singles matches, tag matches, six-man tags, eight-man tags, and even the Retro Rumble. Retromania is available now for Nintendo Switch, PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, Steam, and iArcade. There's even a Retromania-themed iArcade cabinet. Check them out at RetromaniaWrestling.com and follow them all on social media at RetroSoft Studios, RetromaniaWrestling.com. Who will step up to the ring? Today's episode is brought to you by DB. DB is a Scandinavian brand that makes backpacks and bags to help people on the move stay ready for anything. From the streets to the peaks, DB's gear is travel tested by some of the world's best athletes, adventurers, and creators. Over the past decade, DB has designed and developed, released, and refined the best bags in the market. With DB's patented hookup system, you are able to attach small products to your backpack, roller, or tote. It is very important to have the right luggage and the right bag when you are traveling. There's no doubt about that. We are now teaming up with DB for an exclusive offer to our listeners of 10% off when you purchase by using the code POD10 or going to the link in the show notes. DB, it's time to move on. It's time to get going. That is 10% off using the code POD10 at our link. That is DB, it's time to move on and it's time to get going going the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production what's up guys it's the phenomenal aj styles you're listening to the two-man power trip hey johnny cool man what's going on we're ready to go or what to the two-man power trip of wrestling i'm your host jp john pause with me today is a former wb and nxt superstar you may know him from heavy machinery you may know him as tucker knight or tucker he is of course mr levi cooper levi welcome to the two-man power trip how are you doing today sir what's up I'm doing good man doing really well thanks for having me no problem so what's been going on in your world what have you been up to yeah man mostly just uh been catching up on uh stuff at home you know i uh 
my wife is <clears throat> my wife is due uh, late September, early October, oh, wow. uh, with our second. My daughter just turned three in, in June, so you know I've just been uh, been doing that. My wife actually got a big uh, a big promotion. She's an educator. She's has been a teacher, um, and now she's going to work for the district office. Um, they've started this equity initiative at her school district in Evergreen, and uh, and so she's she's got that job, and we didn't know if she was going to get that or not. Um, so, you know, she's been very supportive of me and my wrestling since uh, since we moved out to Florida together at the beginning of 2014. And uh, instead of having both my kids go to daycare and try to find you know work or try to wrestle enough to to kind of make up for that, I'm going to just stay at home through the rest of the year and. Uh, keep getting my body and mind good, ready to go. Um, and you know, really as it pertains to wrestling, hit the, hit the ground running in 2022. So that's sort of what I've been up to since I've been released, just kind of, uh, been doing a lot of yoga and, uh, I'm actually going out at the end of the month to Atlanta to see the man DDP, um, spend a couple of days out there at the performance center. It's been doing a lot of the DDPY performance center, not the WWE performance center. Right. Um, and uh so yeah man just been you know doing a lot of things uh to take care of my body and my mind really you know um the obviously the end of my wwe run wasn't uh wasn't what i would have hoped for it to be and uh the last six months there so you know they weren't the best um that that took its toll on me a little bit mentally um and um you know so it, it definitely took me some time after i got released just to kind of you know, I had to decide whether I even wanted to wrestle again, right? Hey, I'm, I'm right. feeling all these ways. Like, let me just give myself some space to kind of take inventory of, you know, how I'm feeling and what I do want to do um, moving forward and and kind of make a decision. You know, I, um, yeah, I mean, wrestling just wasn't the only thing that I kind of had on my docket. Um, you know, moving out of college, I do have an accounting degree and, uh, um, you know, I've always had aspirations to be a, a coach and a, and kind of a mentor. Um, so, you know, I've just kind of been making those decisions and, and sort of, like I said, kind of giving myself the freedom to, you know, just decide, OK, well, what is it that I actually want and what's best for me and my family and moving forward, you know, and and don't put your pressure on yourself that you have to kind of make those things happen immediately. <laughs> Yes, but congratulations on the baby. That's great. Great news. Thank you. With Appreciate you that. and, and uh, getting in shape and stuff, you seem like you've uh, trimmed down a bit. You seem like you're getting in great shape already. Yeah, man. I've, uh, you know, I've lost probably about 240 right now. Um, at the biggest, I wasn't heavy machinery. I was at 325. Wow. You know, I was probably at 315 when we moved up uh, from NXT to Raw and SmackDown. And, you know, I mean, part of that kind of fit, you know, we sort of had a fat guy gimmick, right? Uh, that was right. kind of part of what, you know, hey, it's heavy machinery. Like, <laughs> and, you know, I've always just been a big guy. I mean, I was, I wrestled heavyweight in college. The weight class there was 285. And, um, you know, I just, uh, I don't have the best metabolism. My family genetically, we just don't, uh, you know, and, a big part of sort of where I've gotten to at this point has also been kind of the discussion in my family growing up. And, and I'm sure this is the case for a lot of families around food is, is just about taste. 
and making it delicious, you know, and having it. And, and I'm not saying that's not important, um, but a big kind of mental pivot that I've I've made in the last year or so is just to really think about food as the fuel for your body, you know, to do the things that you want to be able to do. Um, uh, you know, I did a whole 30, which is a elimination style diet. Um, and you know, that helped me out a lot too, just to kind of recognize my relationship with food and, um, you know, yeah, I've been doing a lot of physical and mental work around, Hey, like, you know, you don't, it's hard to step back and kind of take inventory of yourself when you're on the road, you know, every single week yeah. for years in, in a row, it's just, you just don't, I mean, it's just hard to do that because you're just always, always going and going and going and always kind of like thinking about the next thing and the next thing. And, and, you know, I, I just didn't realize how, how much, even though I was kind of taking care of myself, that there was areas of my, you know, sort of uh, physical and, and spiritual being that I was neglecting. And, and that was starting not to just take a toll on myself, but to take, take a bit of a toll on my family as well. Um, and so, you know, yeah, I feel like, you know, kind of obviously being in a financial position to be able to recognize that, hey, I need to take some time to just to work on on myself and, and, and my family and just kind of get the things, just get that, you know, as a well-oiled machine as I can moving from this kind of really crazy thing that I've been doing into sort of, you know, just what is the next phase for for all of us together, you know, and um yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I talked about yoga a little bit earlier. Um, I think for the greater part of about 15 years, you know, my mentality, my sort of goal was to get bigger, faster and stronger as an athlete, kind of irregardless of what the long term ramifications of that might have been, you know, for my body. And, um, you know, about a year ago, I realized that I was having some hip issues and I wasn't able to engage uh, my boot minor properly, essentially, you know, and not to get like into kind of the technical side of it. But right. um, another part of kind of my family genetics I've, I've discovered is just that we have kind of a frontward hip tilt. You know, it's it, my parents both have it. And and obviously it's exacerbated by sitting in a chair, you know, a lot of time. But um, yeah, it's just something I started to realize, holy crap, man, my quads are super tight. Like I could squat 500 pounds, but I'm actually not doing it correctly. Like I don't have my core engagement the way that it should properly be in order to, you know, be um, using all of your, sort of what would you call kinetic chains from the floor up um, properly. So that's been another big thing. You know, I've kind of completely pivoted um, my goal from trying to get bigger, faster and stronger to uh, trying to basically improve my mobility, right? I, I got this book that's called the art and science of mobility, and it has all of your kinetic energy positions, sort of like the chains that your body creates muscular chains from the floor and it has all these different exercises and movements that test essentially that if you can do these, then your body has proper biomechanical mobility. And I, I realized, Oh my God, like there's a couple of these, I'm so far off. I'm not even close. And like, right. you know, that means that the risk of injury is, is greater because um, your body's not, you know, moving and not able to do the things that it's supposed to do. So some other piece of your body's having to sort of pick up the slack. Um, and so that's, that's been, uh, another big piece of, of catalyst sort of for, for my weight loss, you know, over the last year or so. How'd you get connected in with DDP? So, I mean, so he, uh, he came to the, to the PC in Orlando a couple different times while I was oh, okay. there. Um, 
And, and, you know, we just did a class for kind of everyone and um, gave us the opportunity if we wanted to during those classes to um, give him, you know, uh, just some basic information and, and he would help set us up an account, you know, for, for free, essentially, right? Say, Hey, like you guys are doing all this, like, um, so if you guys want to use, you know, if you want to use my program, if you want to use the app, it's available for you guys to use free of charge, just contact me. And so, you know, I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to pass up on that, that opportunity. Um, and so, you know, and that was probably three years ago now or something. And I just kind of was using it intermittently, uh, mainly at the beginning, I was just using it as a warm up. maybe do like 15 or 20 minutes of it and then go straight into the gym and lift, you know, and, then, you know, sort of as I've continued my you know journey and kind of talked about that pivot that I made, you know, this became the D- DDPY became a big, a, a much larger piece of what I was doing because I was starting to realize, especially around diaphragmatic breathing, diaphragm breathing, that I, I was not able to do that properly. And I had some, some pretty big issues and that meant I need to start back from the base. You know, I can't, I, I needed like, and I, so I stopped with the weights for, you know, probably five or six months and just focused on, on my core and, and trying to make sure that, you know, I could breathe through my nose properly in these difficult positions and, you know, just do the kind of fundamental things that I had been, I realized that I had been neglecting for a while. Um, and then, you know, I just, as I've been doing different interviews and, and kind of just, I just was talking about, you know, sort of speaking my truth. Hey, like these, this has been a really positive force in my life. It's helped me out a lot. Um, and, and so we just kind of got into contact through that, you know, and, and he, uh, he kind of gave me, he, you know, gave me the opportunity if I wanted to come out and, and train with him for a couple of days. Uh, he just said, Hey, open, you know, open, this is an open invitation. Um, you know, if there's a date and time that can, that will work for you. Um, and, yeah. So, I mean, you know, I think it just kind of happened in the kind of an organic way, right. As just sort of, like I said, me sort of promoting it, but not doing it for any reason other than, you know, something that I really believe in and something that I've seen, not just for myself, but, you know, I have my mom on it now and it's been, it's been helping her out a lot. I've been working hard to try to get my dad on it too, you know, and the thing that I love the most about it is he, he has his sort of baseline that he's created, you know, and then, if you aren't able to start at that baseline, then he's moved the line backwards in a bunch of ways. And I feel like there's not a lot of workout programs out there that sort of like really try hard to meet people where they are. You know, it's sort of like, yeah. well, you have to get to this particular place first before you can make, you know, and, and that's valuable for some people, but the vast majority of people that maybe haven't been in the gym, you know, since they were in high school or, or whatever the case may be like, yeah, I mean, you can't make it so that after they do one workout, they can't get off the couch for the next three days. Like they're they're not going to keep doing that. You know, it's, it's not realistic. So, you know, I mean, he has pro- programs in bed. He has a you know whole series where you're in a chair, and then the kind of you graduate from that it, to where you stand, but you still have a chair and you use it in all these. So you're doing all the same movements that you would be doing without any, any assistance, but he's found a way to bring assistance in and sort of, like I said, just kind of move that baseline backwards to meet people, you know, essentially wherever they are. I mean, like if you if you can barely get out of bed, he has three workouts where you're laying in your bed and doing them. So, yeah, it's awesome. yeah you know, it's just been uh, it's been great for me. And and obviously, you know, he's he's done a lot of amazing things for a lot of people. 
with you and just kind of talking about the the other performance center, the WB performance center, how do you actually break in and get in there? Because you're an amateur wrestler. Is that like a Jerry Briscoe thing? Is that Canyon yep. Seaman? Oh, it's Briscoe. Okay. So Briscoe recruits you in? Briscoe recruited me in. Yeah. So, um, so I'm wrestling at Arizona State. Uh, I wrestled there for my last three years in college. And yeah, my senior year, I think it was at Las Vegas Invitational, which uh, is like early December, I want to say. Um, yeah, he was there and t- talking to a few different people and we just kind of exchanged information. You know, he said, hey, I know, you know, I know you, you're in your senior year. So when you're done, you know, when you're done wrestling this year, when you're kind of finishing up school, you know, we get back in contact with me and uh, and we'll try to set up a time for you to come out to Florida for a tryout. Um, so I graduated in May and I had my tryout like mid-June. I was actually part of the last tryout that took place at FCW in Tampa. They started the performance center or it, it opened up in July of, of 2013. And, uh, and I had my tryout in June of that year. Um, so yeah, I have my tryout. Actually, Chad Gable was at that tryout. Uh, Sonny Dinza, who was Acom from AOP. He was at that tryout. Um, it was mainly a tryout of amateur wrestlers and, and a little bit smaller tryout than maybe they would normally have, particularly at the performance center. I think there was like, less than 20 of us. Um, and then, yeah, ultimately end up getting called about a month later on my 23rd birthday, actually on July 24th. Uh, yeah, I get a call and they, you know, Hey, we'd like to hire you. Um, and then it took about six months or so. I actually didn't start until the very beginning of January, 2014. My first day when I remember I drove into Orlando, me and, and my now wife, it was, January 1st, 2014, you know, I was like, Oh, okay. So that was cool. Right. Just like, well, we're starting off the new year. And and at that time, neither of us had had ever even been to Florida. So, you know, it was a pretty big, uh, pretty big leap or whatever you want to say. Uh, we would kind of just went out there to the two of us to try to make things happen. And, uh, it was, it was awesome. So when you first started out, like, were you a fan at all or did you have any sort of like inkling like, uh, Hey, I like pro wrestling as well. Yeah. So, I mean, I wasn't like a massive fan, you know, I, um, it wasn't certainly wasn't like a, a dream of mine from the time I was a child or anything. Um, you know, I, I was born in 1990, so I was coming of age during the attitude era. So I mean, all of us, all of me and my friends and everyone was kind of watching wrestling and, you know, 98, 99, 2000, 01, 02, right? It's like 03, wrestling super hot. Um, so, yeah, we were, you know, we were watching. Stone Cold was definitely my favorite growing up. And I was just like, okay, I mean, this guy's the man, you know? Yep. Um, and then by the time I kind of got to high school, you know, I, I sort of stopped doing or watching anything that wasn't going to try to get me to play sports at the Division One level. You know, that was particularly football. I started playing football as a 10 year old tackle football, um, you know, and, and I wanted to be a division one football player. I wanted to play football at Oregon state. I grew up going to Oregon state football games, the energy, all of it. Like I was like, I want to be on that field. I want to be one of those guys wearing the black and orange, you know, that's what I want to do. And, uh, 
So like I said, about, about the time I got into high school, the vast majority of things that I was doing in my life was in service of that. You know, I, I used to ski and ride four wheelers growing up. I gave that up new knowing that if I hurt myself doing this, I won't forgive myself, you know, right. I'll be super Smart. pissed. Yeah. And, uh, and ultimately I end up, you know, wrestling in college because I didn't get any division one, uh, offers to play football. And when I, I guess sat down and sort of decided, what do I, what do I really want? I wanted to be a division one athlete more than I wanted to be a college football player. And that was, you know, ultimately what led me to, uh, to decide to wrestle in college as opposed to, you know, I, I had some offers from division two and division three schools to, to play football, uh, in Oregon. And, yeah, ultimately, I end up going to Portland State as a freshman. They dropped their wrestling program my first year. Then I go to Cal State Bakersfield for a year. They dropped their wrestling program again, first oh, year there. Man. So my third year in school, I drive to Arizona State. Uh, I've, I've, I've talked to the coach one time, like the person I'm staying with, I've only met him twice. You know, I, so I was like, hey, you know, I basically, I, I, Figured they didn't have a good enough heavyweight. Like I knew who their heavyweight was the year before. I thought I was good enough to be the starter there. So I just packed all my stuff up in my car and drove there, you know? And I think at the time, you know, I was just like, well, if I'm going to make a bet, dude, I'm going to make this bet on myself. Like, cause I'm in control. Yeah. I'd rather make a bet on myself than on anyone else. And I think that helped me a lot. Um, when it ultimately came the, time to you know make the decision to to continue an athletic endeavor and, and go into professional wrestling you know and, and sort of be like okay hey like i've already uprooted my life and moved someplace before and bet on myself and it's been successful you know like i was a division one all-american arizona state started there for three years i went to the national tournament all three years objectively i was quite a successful wrestler at arizona state um you know i was in the top 15 in the country all three of those seasons and uh and yeah, so that was, you know, I think that was a big part of me feeling like, hey, I can go to Florida and I can do this thing. Right. So when you first get there, you know, you're pretty much, you know, brand new to professional wrestling at this point. What is like the, like the, um, I guess the standards or the practice, like when you first get there, like, what do you need to do? Do you meet with like Triple H and all the guys? Like what, like, do they throw you in drills right away? Like, how does it go when you first get there? Yeah, so it's different now. Um, at the time when I started, uh, DeMott was the head coach, you know, so he was in charge of the Performance Center for probably my first 15 months or so. Um, so at the time when you come in, you actually don't train in the in the ring for a month, you know, and that's just across the board, not just for someone who didn't have wrestling experience like me, but, you know, I remember when Kevin Owens first came in, there was, there was like, well, you got to sit out for a month, you know, and it's like, this is kind of stupid, but whatever, you know? So, and that, that obviously ultimately that, that changed and, and went away and, and became a thing where you kind of came in and, and you, you started training in the ring right away, but at a, a very, um, you know, sort of just very watched and constructed kind of in, in its way. So yeah, for me, um, yeah, I just lit, I lift for that first month, you know, and, um, I remember that, kind of uh i didn't you know obviously i'm i've thought about a bunch about hey what like what are going to be the kind of barriers right I'm, I'm you know i've done some of my research before i walk into this building and i have some idea of what i'm getting myself into but i i didn't <laughs> i didn't consider how the jargon or sort of the lexicon of professional wrestling would be an immediate barrier you know and and so i just can remember like 
people talking about, you know, the heat or the cutoff or, or right. kind of these different things early on and, and just being like, yeah, I don't know what you guys are talking about. Like, I, yep. can you guys explain that to me, please? So, you know, that was kind of, uh, I guess, like a funny, funny little thing looking back on it that was a bit of a barrier. I, I remember promo class early on being super daunting, very nerve wracking, like, you know, and I would have consider myself a pretty good public speaker, um, you know, did community had communication called classes in college. Like I did some speech and debate when I was in high school, speaking in front of, you know, people who I don't care about or, or just who I don't have any, any relationship with. And I don't actually, doesn't matter to me what their kind of instantaneous feedback is. No problem. But I started cutting promos at the PC right away. And it's all my peers, Dusty Rhodes, William Regal. And it's, a, I mean, that's a very nerve wracking environment. So I remember too, for my first three months, like my promos were not good. Like they were actually bad. You know, I was just having, trying to do a bunch of extra work and, and it was mainly just around my level of comfortability. Like I just wasn't comfortable. It was clearly obvious that I wasn't comfortable. You know, I'm having a bunch of nerves as I'm walking up there. And, and so that was something that also kind of, you know, took me a while to kind of get over and was like almost a mental thing more than anything else of just like, okay, you know, just forget about who's in the room or whatever. And just, you know, say what you would say if there was no one here or, or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, and then I think also you like, it's not that people would treated me badly when I got there necessarily, but a lot of people have already kind of paid their proverbial dues, right? We've, they've wrestled on the Indies for multiple yeah. years, right? They've kind of cut the cloth, whatever, whatever cliche you want to kind of describe that by. So, you know, it's, it's sort of expected of you to, you know, walk in, be willing to humble yourself, right? Be willing to understand that like, you know, for me, I also think like, um, and I, and I get this to the maximum, maybe I didn't when I first started, but that like, there's a big respect piece of just understanding and appreciating the people that came before you and the foundation that they laid before you. And that like, this thing is where it is now because, because of the hard work of all of these individuals, you know, as a, as a group, you know, moving through the territories, right. And, and just all the different ways that sort of, uh, wrestling has manifested itself in America and, and, you know, the ways that people have, have gotten it over and, and just that, you know, it wouldn't be what it is here for you to be having this opportunity if it wasn't for, you know, the work of all these other people that came before you and to at least, you know, recognize, appreciate and respect those things because, you know, it's not just, it's not just about you and what you can kind of provide, but it's about, this kind of business, this, this thing as an entity, right. And, and how we all care about this thing as an entity here. Like the people here really care about professional wrestling and wanting it to, to, you know, be good and be successful across the board. And that, you know, yeah, there's some expectation as you're walking in that building that if you are, if you're not feeling that way, or, or you, you just don't come from that background that like, you need to understand that and you need to, you know, and then on top of that, like I didn't wrestle a match for a whole year in, in NXT, right? I'm, uh, I, I'm just going to all the shows. I'm setting up and tearing down rings. I'm working security at, at the shows. And then obviously I'm training during the week, you know, and, and I, and I mean, I, in that first year, I probably wasn't, wasn't ready to be having any matches. You know, I'm, I might've had a few inside the performance center in front of my peers or something, but you know, no live event matches for me, I think for like about my first, I think I had my first one in February of 2015 so it took me about 14 months from being in that building until i had my first match so you know like am i 
I've seen a lot of people not make it through a whole year there. I just say that. Like right, right, from the right. time I started that, so January 2014, the day I started in that building to the day that I moved up to the main roster, there was only three talent that were still in the building that had been there when I started. Otherwise, every other face was new. So you're talking about nearly 100% turnover in a five-year period. So, you know, a, a lot of people come and go. And, uh, you know, like I said, if you're not willing to kind of do those things and just be like, okay, hey, look, like I don't know anything about this. And so before I'm sort of allowed to have the chance to figure out what my piece of, of pro wrestling might be, like I got to have to learn how to wrestle and be safe, right? I have to do all these other, you know, things. And it, it was partially because of the time too, right? The network wasn't even a thing when I started. The network became a thing in March of 2014. So NXT on television is, is not really a thing when, I mean, they have their TV show, but it's not on the network. It's, it's just completely different. It's when I started there, it was still purely a developmental brand. There was no, Hey, we're trying to draw money with this thing. You know, and and then probably a year and a half or so, two years after I started, that was when the you know a giant shift happened. And it's okay now, like we're live on the network. We're like, I mean, we're a big piece of of the network platform in general. Maybe the biggest piece of the network platform as it pertains to going forward. Like live things from NXT is a huge driver of the network early on, and so you know that meant that. Once that kind of got established, then there was two touring brands. Then people started going, the NXT started running road shows. And then there become a lot more opportunities for live events in Florida for talent. You know, like I said, when I first, in that first maybe 15 months that I'm there, um, they hadn't done any road shows at all. You know, the first time they did was they, they did the Arnold Classic. And that was right around the time that Bill DeMott got let go. So... You know, like I said, up up to that point, there's only shows in Florida. And so that's mainly for people working on TV. So it was much more difficult to get on those shows and kind of get your first repetitions in than it became after a couple of years. And, you know, OK, now we have our, all of our TV people are in Ohio for this weekend, but we still have three shows in Florida. We got to fill that card up. Obviously, that means, you know, there's eight more matches and that that. May, means there's a lot more opportunity for people and and that's why the numbers grow you know i think when i started at the pc there was like 65 people now i believe well maybe not now after the last couple months but right. you know there was over 100 talent in that building at, at different times when i was there so you know it, it it also expanded quite a bit um in just the number of people in the building you think it was too much to have that many people in the building well i mean at times, yes, like it was, it's, it's large enough and there's enough coaches that they kind of figure out how to stagger the, you know, so like sometimes you'd have your in-ring time from eight in the morning to 11 and then you might lift in the afternoon, you know, other times you might have an 8 a.m. lift. It's, it goes by month, right? So every month they would change the schedule. And I think maybe when I started, there was five coaches and five classes and eventually there became eight. So that was another kind of way that they, you know, sort of grew it. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, in terms of r- room for all of those people to get opportunities potentially on television and live events, yeah, too many, you know, definitely. I mean, um, you know, I, this is purely speculation on my part and some people might be pissed about this speculation, but I'm saying it anyways. I think that 
you know, especially around the time that AEW announced they were going to become a thing, right? WWE started started hiring basically as much talent as they could to try to starve the market. You know, that's my opinion of it. I, and I don't think, I mean, I think that's, that's how it went down, you know? And, and so for the better part of two years, right, they, they were hiring a lot of people and um, not all of those people ever got any opportunities, you know, some of them or, or not any really good ones anyways. Um, you know, and that's, I mean, that's partially what it is, right? I mean, you, you sign that contract, you know what you're getting yourself into at the same, by the same, you know, token, but, um, yeah, I do think, you know, there was a bit of that from them. And then obviously based around kind of the way that they've been letting people go since I got let go, um, you know, it seems clearly obvious that they had too much talent, right. And that, yeah. you know, what the, like I said, that's my guess as to the reason that they were sort of trying to choke the market a little bit. And then. Oh, we're in the pandemic and maybe there's not a place for all these people to hurt us immediately. And, and then we can kind of like some of them go and don't, we don't have to worry about them making an immediate impact in the same way that maybe they would when wrestling's in, you know, full on and the world's not in this crazy time period. Um, again, that's, that's just my speculation, but yeah, that's been out there. People like a lot of other people said too, like, man, they were signing so many people because AEW came around. It's like, nope, we're going to scoop everybody up. And now it's almost like AEW scooping everybody up and WWE is releasing everybody. It's like, uh, it's crazy what's going on in wrestling. It's interesting, man. It's definitely interesting. Have you had any interest? I know you're waiting for 2022. Any interest in AEW or, or do you follow like that side of wrestling at all? Away from yeah. That? I mean, I'll, you know, I'll watch and see what they, what they, uh, what they're up to. Um, and, you know, I think I've always been of the opinion that, you know, that, more is more is good for everyone and that you know particularly for the fans right it's like hey these you know the 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 guys who started aw with tony khan right the box and cody and you know those you know hangman they they built themselves a very organic grassroots following right and who's going to go with them wherever because they were able to get to really get to people's emotion. Right. And I mean, that's, you want people to remember you, they remember the way you feel. Right. And these guys, they obviously, they understand the internet age and that kind of much better than, than WWE, in my opinion. Um, maybe not NXT. I mean, it's kind of apples and oranges a little bit, but obviously, you know, there was a head to head there thing there and whether that, you know, I mean, kind of both sides played into that, I guess. Um, yeah. I mean, they, they to me are an alternate product right they're not trying to do the same thing that wwe is trying to do they're trying to do something different and that's going to appeal to a different audience you know i mean wwe has their audience at this point they're they're a family-driven show it's not like that's what they are they're not the attitude era anymore they have corporate sponsorships to protect their money comes from television deals in the network and they have vast number of revenue streams based around all kinds of things that are not I'm wrestling immediately on television, you know, and AEW, I would say they're, you know, they're a little bit more of a wrestling show than WWE is. That's, that's WWE has always talked about trying to be a variety show, at least to us internally, you know, we're having these discussions all the time about like, Hey, we're the traveling circus. Like we, we need to have all these different things to kind of have a broad appeal to, you know, different groups or, or whatever these people are looking for. Right. And, Whereas to me, AEW is kind of, at least in its 
early stage form, you know, a show for for the wrestling purist, you know, to me, that's kind of the way that I, I viewed, viewed it as. And, and I think they are, they're doing a great job of that. You know, I think that they're, and obviously they are, I mean, based on numbers and, and, you know, measurables, but also I think outside of the measurables, um, yeah, it'll be, you know, and, and anytime somebody that's a billionaire that owns, you know, sports franchises gets into something like that, you got to take them serious, right? You yeah. cannot take them serious. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, I don't really have any immediate interest in wrestling on television again in the short term, because I feel like I have some work to do for myself in terms of just figuring out exactly who I am inside of the ring, outside of, you know, heavy machinery and just, for, I mean, it's not that I feel like I'm lost in there or something, but that I don't feel like I have super polished who I am in all these situations and, you know, what are the components of my personality, Levi's personality that really connect with, you know, people to some degree that I feel like I, I want to do some more exploring of that for myself. And I don't feel like having sort of the pressure of like, Hey, you you know, if you're going to be on television, you need to have somewhat of a polished product that's ready for that. And that means maybe you can't experiment as much as, right. I mean, I want to just have the freedom to go follow my face and be like, okay, well that didn't work. So I need to try something else out the next time and not be like worried about there being a million eyes or that, or that costing me something in the long run. You know, like I, I really feel like I, I need and want the creative freedom to, to make mistakes. And, and I just don't feel like, that's super possible when you're, you know, trying to produce television on a weekly basis because, you know, it's got to be good. It's got to be a television product. It's got to be polished. So going back to NXT and the Performance Center, when you're down there and, you know, you're saying it, it takes a year basically to get in the ring and start wrestling. When do you get your name? When do you get Tucker Knight and, and who comes up with the name? Yeah, so mm, I got my name. So, I mean, the, I guess I came up with the name, right? Or I come up with the, like, at the time, I don't know if it's still this way, but you essentially, like, you provide them with a, a list of names. And then that list is run through legal, right? To see what names they actually can own, essentially, you know? And uh, so I remember putting a list of, like, 15 together and getting back maybe four names. And three of the surnames were Knight out of those four um ultimately i ended up choosing it because i i like the initials the best you know i was thinking i might be able to use like tko right or some something right. along those lines um so that was sort of um the initial reason that i chose that um you know i was i had the understanding that i could potentially change that name as well you know going moving forward if if it didn't work out and there was actually a time when Otis and I, when we were in uh, in NXT and we were first pitching, you know, well, we weren't even we, we weren't even heavy machinery. We were just Otis and Tucker when we made our debut in the Dusty Classic. Yep. And everybody loved the name uh, heavy machinery, except Triple H, from what I understand. He was not a fan of that name and wanted, you know, we thought it was too gimmicky, I guess. Um you know, I guess thinking like fat man in, in construction hats or whatever, you know, and we're yeah. like trying to explain, Hey, like we are heavy machinery. It's not like, it's not a gimmick, like be no, no, like, and so 
we wanted, I wanted to be t- called tank and he wanted to be called dozer. And we were the tank and dozer heavy machinery. That was our initial pitch. Um, but we were told that can't, we can't get those names basically. Like we can't, we're not going to be able to register those names. So we can't do it essentially. Right. Cause I mean, to me, that was like, that would have been awesome. I think yeah. tank and dozer heavy machinery. Like you, you, you get it right now. It's like, okay. That, like this dude's a tank, that dude's a dozer. They smash everyone. This is what they do. They run through people. Like to me, it, it makes sense. It's not hard to figure out, you know? Um, so we couldn't get those, but we ultimately, you know, I, I remember having a discussion with uh, Joe Belcastro was his name. And at the time he's the head writer of NXT. So he's like the in-house guy because Triple H is is still performing on television at this time. So, you know, he's traveling every week. So you might have, you only see him maybe once a month when he comes to do TV for us. Otherwise, you know, you, you don't have a lot of interaction with him. And so we were sitting in his office, you know, and we have a list of kind of alternates to heavy machinery and we're, we're sort of having this, you know, back and forth. And, uh, you know, I just sold, I told him, I said, Hey, look, I've been here for probably three over three years at this point. And people have told me over that, those three years that like, when you feel like something's right, you'll know it. And so I said, you like, you could call us any of these names on the list that you want, but like, if you asking us, we're heavy machinery, like, that's what we feel. That's, you know, like, I, I don't know. I don't want to give you some other answer and be like, Hey, I'm okay with these other things. When the truth of the matter is we feel like this is who we are and and this is who we want to be. Um, and so we ultimately, you know, we ultimately get the name. They, they end up giving it to us, obviously. Um, and then, you know, we, <laughs> and we, we underwent a name change when we move up. Right. We, we lose our last names. Right. Um, and from what I understand, the reason by, behind that was purely and simply, which is funny, but it like it doesn't make any sense. But in WWE logic, it makes perfect sense that uh, whenever Vince heard us being announced, when we had a, a TV match and, it, and the announcer had to go Tucker Knight, Otis Dozovic, heavy machinery, that was too long. So shit can the last names. It's just Otis and Tucker heavy machinery. And, and from what I understand, that was, you know, and we weren't consulted about that at all. I found out about that name change via social media. <laughs> wow. And, really? uh, yes. Yep. That I, well, I got a text from the social media guy saying, hey, like, we're going to change your handles because, you know, you guys' names have changed. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Our names have changed. Like, oh, you guys haven't heard? Well, no, that's why I'm reacting this way. Like, yeah, yeah, they... Wow, Vince, wow. Vince wanted to get rid of your guys' last names. So, and and we weren't the first ones, and we weren't the last ones to have that happen. It's happened yeah. several times, you know, before and after. And and so that's the reason, from what I understand, the reason why people lose lose part of their names is because it saves seconds on television. So <laughs> crazy, and I guess it, to Vince, it just doesn't sound right. I guess to him, for whatever reason, it just sounds too long. So too much of a mouthful, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, because he does that, you're right, does it all the time. You always see, like, okay, uh, you know, Big E Langston. Okay, lost to Langston. He's just Big E. Like, it always yeah, happens. Bizarro. Yeah. Yep. To Vince, is, I don't know. Well, how is he, though? He seems like he's a bit of a, a character, even for as, you know, you hear horror stories, you hear good stories. Who knows what really is true or not from a fan perspective. But you do hear, like, these stories where it's like he has quirks. He's a very quirky guy. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, to some extent, he's an enigmatic billionaire. I mean, he obviously, I like, I only know him for the two years that I know him. So I can imagine that having very little competition over a 15 year period, um, coupled with having the financial means to sort of get whatever you want, travel in whatever way that you want to travel kind of make anything that you would like to have happen at your beck and call happen. Um, you know, that sort of leads you to uh, be out of touch maybe with, uh, with the everyday man, you know, and to some extent. And, you know, the interactions that I personally had with Vince were all fine. You know, I didn't have any bad interactions with him, I would say. Um you know, it was always obviously he's a very busy guy. He's the boss. So, you know, for me, I'm always like, if I'm going to meet with them, I'm, I got, you know, you got to be coming correct. You got to have a reason to meet with them as I'm not just like walking in there to, although I, there are other people who, who would tell you like, Hey, you need to have that kind of relationship with them. Like you need to be able to walk in there and just, you know, shoot and breeze with them for 10 minutes for no reason other than just to show face with the boss. And, and I'm sure people have success with that. That's just not my personal style, you know, and so it wasn't the way that I went about bit my business and that potentially hurt me, you know. Um but I remember having a really good meeting with them one time when we pitched that we wanted to be the barbecue guys, you know, and this was right around the time when Fox was we were moving to Fox on SmackDown. And so I remember pitching it to him like, hey, we want to tailgate the Fox red carpet. Like put us on the red carpet with our aprons, right. give us a barbecue, and we'll just we'll just tailgate the red carpet. It'll be like, it'll be good TV or it'll be a good backstage saying like, and, and he was really into it actually. Um, he seemed to really like the idea. I think ultimately there was just a lot of things happening around that. So it didn't come to fruition there. And that was probably another, I didn't have a deep enough understanding of like, Hey, Vince liked this idea, but that doesn't mean it's going to happen. I still need to like continue to push the lever, these whatever other levers to kind of, keep the ball rolling, you know? Um, and so obviously we weren't able to to do that for, for, you know, whatever reason. And like I said, I think obviously I'll take some of the blame for that too, of just not, not working well enough inside of, of the machine and sort of, like I said, just understanding how to keep that going. Um, the last, the last conversation that I had with them was actually, uh, after I wrestled Ricochet in that real quick match, uh, a week after the uh, um, split happens. And I thought about talking to him beforehand, but I just decided, you know what? Like, I'm just going to do, I'm just going to do what's asked of me here after this. And then I'm going to go talk to him in gorilla after, after it goes down. So, you know, we do the, whatever, a minute segment or whatever it is. And, uh, and I just walked up to him in gorilla and I said, Hey, look, like, I just want you to know whatever you ask me to do, like, I'll always give you hundred percent of, and I'll always do my best, but I'm capable of doing way more than I just did out there. And I really hope I get the chance to prove it to you and shook his hand. And, you know, obviously I didn't. So, um, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he just kind of said, okay. And sort of, you know, I mean, it was, he's in gorilla, he's in the middle of the show. So, you know, he just kind of, <clears throat> yeah, okay. You know, sort of deal or whatever. And, um, you know, yeah, I mean, he like I said I didn't have any necessarily bad interactions with him. Um, 
yeah, but he's, he's, he definitely has a presence. He has a bit of an intimidating presence. I, I could, I would admit, um, you know, carries himself in a certain way. Um, and just, yeah, I mean, I think when you, you know, I can't imagine doing that job and being, being that, having those responsibilities, you know, and obviously he put his whole house and, and life on the line for the original WrestleMania, you know, and has got to the place where he is now. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that's that, you know, anybody, I shouldn't say anybody, but a lot of people who, the people that I've met that have sort of been able to kind of make the life around them, whatever they want it to be. And they all kind of have their own personality, right. Or, or sort of just like, they're so used to the acquiescence from everyone to sort of whatever they want, you know, because they can make that happen no matter, no matter what the circumstances are around them. Mostly, um, you know, that just comes with a certain, like, I hesitate to say like narcissistic attitude because I'm not saying that that's what he is, but I do feel like just kind of when, when you're the, when you're the man, like there's a necessary ego piece to, to having to do that job. Right. Is, is sort of the point I'm getting at. And like that exists there. And I feel like I'm not blaming him for that, but just like, that's probably a necessary piece of, of doing that job um, that, you know, you, you just like, when you say things, they happen. Right. And so that's, that's him. Like basically, Hey, when I say something that happens, if it's good or if it's bad, like it's going to happen. And so that's sort of the way you got to figure out to navigate those waters, at least around him, you know, and, and kind of, I mean, if you have a great relationship with him, then, then that's awesome because you can go straight to him and he can make it happen. Right. But by the flip side, if you don't, or, you know, whatever the case is, like he, uh, yeah, I mean, he's just more hands-on with some people than he is with others, you know. With him and the whole heavy machinery breakup, did they even explain to you guys why they broke up heavy machinery? Because it seemed like a hot act, seemed like you guys were getting over, you know, did they even say anything to you and Otis? Like, hey, uh, we're going to break you guys up. No, no. Um, you know, I could feel it coming. Obviously, you know, I paid paid attention during my during my run and seeing what's happened to other tag teams that move up and, and sort of the way that that sometimes manifests itself. Um, you know, I truly believe that at least in its WWE's current form, whoever executives don't feel like tag team wrestling really draws money. You know, that's purely just based on the spike. I you know they just so rarely at the top of the card. You know, it's rarely getting more than maybe 15 minutes on a pay-per-view. Um, and, you know, the minute that they think one me- member of a tag team could be a hot singles act, then they're breaking them up and they don't really care about the other person necessarily if they think that they can make money with, you know, one act. And that's so that's the way that I kind of see at least the sort of meta reason. Um, you know, I think not to make excuses but i feel like the pandemic really hurt our act bad i mean it it's hard to pro wrestle in any form without fans they're like right. the central right. piece of the exercise right like without an audience pro wrestling wouldn't even exist in its infancy stages like the only reason that it is a thing on this planet is because people paid money to come and watch it otherwise it wouldn't you know obviously we're living in a different time period there's television so we can produce television wrestling wise, but still you're missing this fundamental, right? The, like 
feedback immediacy between audience and performer to me is what makes pro wrestling as as an art form special like you don't have that feedback immediacy in a lot of other like in a sport you can't imagine going to a live event typically unless you're like paying a kajillion dollars for four seats and then maybe lebron will sweat on you but you know you're going to an nxt live event like you could be sitting in the fifth row you know if you yell something the performer might look right at you and say something back to you you're not going to get that at a broadway show you're not getting that anywhere else so to me like that's what makes pro wrestling what it is um great anyways and so and i think our act was really tailored around that heavy machinery we were very much a fan-centered act you know we're very much interacting with the fans type that's just a big part of our gimmicks a big part of what we do inside of the ring and so you sort of take that away from us and you know it just kind of I think it hurt our act more than maybe it hurt some other acts not to have fans initially. Um, and then, you know, I mean, the WrestleMania thing with Otis and Mandy didn't, it was, that was supposed to be a, a mixed tag match from what I understand, or at least a, a six on six with Dolph and rude and, and, you know, myself and Otis, uh, or a potentially a tag match, potentially a, a six, person or gender like right. things were all kind of be th- being thrown around before the pandemic happened you know and then the pandemic happened and of no fault of his own you know bobby rude lives in canada so he he's stuck in canada for for some some months at that time um and so that means i'm not a part of wrestlemania because you can't have more baby faces than heels that doesn't make any sense right so now that match becomes just otis and Dolph, and and i'm not part of it at all um, so I think, you know, it just kind of happened. And then not too far after the pandemic happened, like, um, I, they started leaving me at home and I, like, there was other people too, like Gable was being left. At, there was a lot of people being left at home. And so I don't know if it was people with families or what, I mean, obviously the world's in a crazy time. Like we're not even testing at this point in the company. And so they're very tight lipped about everything. So I don't know exactly what like i don't know if i'm being left home because i have a family or i'm being left home because they just want to use otis and not me like they're you know they won't give me these answers they're not they're not telling me this stuff so he wins the money in the bank contract right about a month and a half after wrestlemania or something i obviously know when that happens yikes like this might be bad for us uh as a team moving forward who knows like i said i I, because we're still not getting any information and at the time you know, I think maybe for five or six weeks, I wasn't even being brought to television. Um, so I, f- I feel like there's a chance that they were going to try to just break us up right then and there. And maybe they weren't happy with what they saw around. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Like it, it doesn't make sense to me that they would give him the briefcase and then have us still be together. Right. That that was like the initial plan. Because I don't feel like they were ever going to use the briefcase on the tag team titles. For the same reason that I was talking about earlier, you know, that's basically a ticket to ticket to them fucking winning the belt, right? Ticket to winning yeah. the heavyweight championship. And that's that's the premier, you know, that that is echelons higher than any other title in the company, right? The universal title and the world heavyweight title, they're like way up here. And then the mid-card belts are are like down here, and then whatever, at least in terms of the way that the company treats them, in my opinion. Right. Yep. So you know, I never felt like they were going to, I mean, obviously we joked about it, talked about it. What if they use it for us to win the tag titles, dude, that'd be so awesome. You know, but it's like, mm, 
I don't think that's realistically gonna gonna happen. So hopefully it does. If it does, amazing. Like we'll make the most of that, and, and that would be so cool. But um, you know, and so like I said, whatever they you know they're doing with him around that time, and he's he's wrestling some singles matches, and ultimately I think he tagged with Braun Strowman at some point in time during that because Braun had won the title, and so they were doing the kind of like you know drawn out. Oh, we'll put the the briefcase guy with the championship guy and they'll have a match and then we could tease whatever. So, um, yeah, man, that's, that's all going down. And, uh, obviously ultimately, you know, they bring me back and we do the whole storyline with Miz and Morrison. Um, and so, you know, then they, they do another thing they normally do and they split us up via the draft for no reason, essentially, but they do that before we've culminated this other storyline. Right. So like I'm moved to raw, but we still haven't finished up the trial yet. So now both of us are working, even though they are like adamant when the draft happens, oh, you're only gonna be working one brand. Inevitably, of course, people have to work both brands. Right. So from what I understand, I think my the initial plan for me was for me to wrestle on uh, Raw Underground. Right. So because Raw Underground was still a thing when the draft happened. But then it took us like a month to finish out the storyline and and before I actually turned. And then Raw Underground had been canned by that time. Um, so as best as I could kind of figure out, that's that was the plan for me at least. It wasn't like, oh, we're just going to break him up and have nothing for this guy. Like we'll, we'll use him and his amateur background as a, in Raw Underground, you know? And, and who knows, maybe a couple of Raw Underground uh segments and, I, and i'm able to get over a little bit as an amateur wrestler and, and now i have some kind of thing to work on and i'm able to to use that moving forward on television but you know that didn't that didn't go down um and you know so obviously this the split happens and the circumstances around that you know really my only regret is is not saying no to that i wish i would have said no um you know, I didn't get the answers that I should have gotten and, and I'll take some of the blame for that. It's not that I didn't ask questions. I was paid a bit of lip service, but ultimately, um, you know, I mean, I think that it happened the way that it happened so that I would kind of just do it and not ask questions because, um, you know, so I'm on raw now. So before that happens, I get a call on Wednesday afternoon. Hey, we need you to leave Thursday morning to come to SmackDown. Right. And this is not that rare of an occurrence that you're like called and asked to leave in under 24 hours. And look, man, I mean, it's my job. I'm under contract. I get it. But in the middle of the pandemic, like this is probably the fifth or sixth time that I've been called in under 24 hours to fly across the country, you know, and it's like and, you know, I mean, I'm like, whatever. So. um, So I, I get out there and we have this in-home app called the TR app. It's got a calendar on it. And if you're booked on a specific date, you have a dot on that calendar, right? So the reason I say this is because when I get to Orlando on Thursday night, I have a dot for Friday, meaning I'm booked for SmackDown. And I have a dot for Monday, meaning I'm booked for Raw. But I do not have a dot on Sunday for Hell in a Cell. So. (laughs) Weird. So. We do the SmackDown thing and we do the El Gran Gordo thing, right? Otis in a mask, which I thought was actually a pretty decent segment. Um, so still, then Saturday comes along. I still don't, you know, Otis is obviously booked. He, they, The match is booked for between him and Miz, but I'm still not booked. 
Sunday comes around. It's like one o'clock in the afternoon. I'm in my car driving to the golf course in Florida. Like I'm like, hey, I'm not booked, dude. I'm going to go, I'm going to go get around golfing, dude. You know, I'm going to go hit a little right ball around, drink some beers. (laughs) And, uh, I get a text message from one of the girls in travel, like not even creative or nothing. Right. They're saying, Hey, they need you at the arena. I'm like, all right, well, I'm not going to make call time. Call time's two o'clock. You know, I'm like, I'm going to be late. They're like, whatever, just get there when you can, you know? Okay, fine. So I, I end up getting to the building around three o'clock probably. Cause you know, like I go back to my hotel and get my stuff or whatever. And, uh, nobody talks to me for like two hours. I'm trying to figure out what I'm, what's going on. I can't get any answers. Can't get any answers. Finally, like five o'clock rolls around this. Okay. This is what we're going to do. Um, you know, I get I get the promo that I'm going to do afterwards. They give me that. You know, they're saying, okay, this is how, how we're going to do it. By the time we kind of all finished talking about it, it's probably like 5.30, 5.45. The show starts at 7. I think we were the second and third segment. So it was like, hey, you, you know, we got to be ready to go by 7.30, 7.45. Um, you know, so I just asked quickly, hey, like, you know, what are we going to do something after this? Is this leading to a story? Oh, yeah, yeah. You guys are going to, you know, whatever. Kind of like I said, I. So that's my mistake. I should have been like, no, I need you to tell me exactly what the plan is after this. Right. But I'm, I mean, in my mind, I'm like, it makes no sense that we're going to do a. It would make no sense that we would do a split and there would just be nothing happen at all. You know, like yeah. if you want to fire me, just have him kick my ass up and down the ring the next Monday, you know, whatever, like do something. I mean, it like, certainly the split didn't help me, but didn't help him at all either. And like, if what you guys ultimately want is for him to be your single star, like, how much of a dumbass does it make him look that his best friend turned on him after three years and he just goes about his merry way like nothing ever happened? Yeah. That's that's just like gotta culminate it. Yep. Right. You know, and and this is after you guys have already like already botched the Mandy thing and, and made those two go along their merry way like it never happened either. Like a guy like Otis would just forget about Mandy and that would yeah. make any semblance of sense. No. Right. So, you know, I mean that's why I didn't push harder to get the answers during that time period. Cause I'm thinking in my head, like, there's no way we're not going to do anything on the backside of this. That would just be, that would just be stupid. Like that would, it would, you know, so, so I do it. And, you know, I mean, I've watched it only one time, you know, was it the greatest turn of all time? No, objectively. Do I think it was good enough that it like, you'll never be able to con- convince me that you couldn't have gave us 10 minutes on raw and, and that would have been better than some of the other 10 minute segments on raw the next Monday. Like Absolutely. you just, you'll never be able to convince me of that. It's just like, no, no, you like, like I said, even if you wanted to fire me, then just have him kick my ass for 10 minutes, you know? And then at least I have something to go off of like, Oh, I can owe poor me myself or, or whatever, you know, something, but yeah, it makes no sense. But so, you know, that was, that's kind of the way that that whole thing happened. And, uh, yeah, man, it just, you know, it sucked. It sucked. It sucks. Uh, I will say, too, I guess one piece of it, at least for, for me also, that was difficult and conflicting is, like, I really love Nico Otis. Nico and I have very much a, a brotherhood. Still speak every week, you know, like, and since the time that Heavy Machinery started, we've had a really good bond and, and a really genuine more than friendship brotherhood you know and this has been my brother's dream to be a wwe superstar way more than it's been mine i already talked about earlier how it was just kind of like i was prepared to be an accountant when i left college and this was just sort of there on the table and i would have been a fool not to take it 
and and I feel like I made a lot of it. I mean, shit, I was with the company for almost eight years. You know, that's a lot more than most people have when they walk in that door and have zero wrestling experience, you know. And so around kind of when he won money in the bank, right, and during this whole time period, like, of course I want heavy machinery to still be together and I want to be wrestling with my brother. But I also don't want to, like, push so hard that that I get somebody in the company pissed off at both of us and that ultimately jeopardizes what could be an amazing opportunity for my brother, someone who I genuinely love, right? Like what kind of a piece of shit would I be if I took that opportunity away from him selfishly, you know, like, right. and, and, you know, so I think some people may hear, hear me say that and say like, well, there's no way you're thinking about those kinds of things, you know, but truthfully, like that was a big piece of, of conflict that I was, you know, having internally was like, Hey, I'd like to try to push really hard for heavy machinery to stay together, but like, I don't know what the costs associated with that might be. So some of me is just going to shut my mouth and accept what's happening and, and just go along with it, you know, or, or not rock the boat enough that it could potentially, you know, cost, cost him something. Um, you know, so that was also kind of, like I said, for me, just a factor anyways, in kind of that whole, in that whole time period and, and sort of, you know, just what was going on for me mentally and, and trying to kind of navigate that situation. So with Otis, obviously they never culminated anything. You guys don't really do anything. You kind of do the 24 seven thing for a little bit with the 24 seven championship. Like, are you sensing the release is coming? Cause it's like, wow, like they screwed me. They screwed Otis a bit too, but they really screwed me and he's going his way and I'm going my way. Like, what were your thoughts? Like thinking uh, the release is going to happen soon. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know that it would, was going to happen soon necessarily. Right. I mean, I know like, yes, as soon as, okay, we, we do the split, then the next, then the very next night on Monday, I, I not even wrestle on raw. I wrestle on main event against Humberto Carrillo, you know, and, and they're like, well, we want you to be a heel. And I'm like, well, you guys just told me about the split last night at the last minute. All I have is heavy machinery gear. You know, and they're like, Oh, it's fine. No problem. You know, and I'm thinking in my head like, well, y'all are not setting me up for success right now. And like, I know what a turn looks like when you guys do want to set someone up for success and that ain't happening in this. So like, yeah, I'm, I'm in trouble a little bit here. Like I'm going to have to try to dig myself out who knows. Right. But yes, I, you know, like I didn't give up, but I certainly knew, Hey, being let go is, a, is certainly a possibility from here on folk going forward. Like in, at any, at any moment, because you you don't have anything right now. You have no you have no entrenchment. You have no traction at all. So, you know, yeah, it would be, you know, it would, it, yeah. So yes, I I figure that that was something that you know could and potentially would happen to me uh, after the split. Um, you know, I pitched a couple things. I pitched like a dickhead country club golf character. Um, you know, mm-hmm. like I said, I like I like golf, so I felt like hey, like. I could at least use the jargon of, of golf and, you know, talk about making birdies and going out of bounds and whatever, you know, maybe I have a white glove and I like wear my white glove and I, whatever. So, you know, something like that. I pitched having a, having a, somebody who's like my taskmaster and I'm, I'm a mansplainer. And so like my, all I'm doing all the time is just in my mind, like I know how to do, I know how to fix the world's problems. So I'm just walking around trying to find people's problems to fix. And then my taskmaster is the person who's like, Hey dude, like 
you should, it's time for you to wrestle. You need to, you know, and he's like yeah. always keeping me on. I'm just walking around like, dude, you, sh- you shouldn't be, uh, you know, typing it on your phone like that. Or that phone case is not good. Like, <laughs> let me explain to you why the life case is actually the case for you. You know what I mean? Like, I know why you might think this is that. So, you know, it wasn't, like I said, I didn't give up, but, um, yeah, I mean, I was, I was certainly worried about it. I mean, I had those conversations with my wife and Hey, look, like, you know, this has happened the way that it's happened. Like, we need to be prepared for this thing to end at any moment. With that and, and the release, is that like a Johnny Ace thing, a more Carano thing? Like, how does that go down? So, I mean, I think Carano got fired before I got released. Okay. Or is maybe right around. I got called by Johnny Ace. Um, yeah, personally. So, which I'm happy that I didn't have to talk to Carano anymore. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> Not a fan, I guess. No, not a fan. No, that guy's a lying dirtbag. Heard that from quite a few people. Yeah, well, I mean, that's his job. That was his job. He was good at it. He was a Vince Shield. Was it budget cuts? What's the reason? Like, to, That seems to be the thing. that they For him? Cut. No, well, well for, for you, for your release. Oh, I mean, yeah, I don't. Yeah, they weren't, you know, it was. I wasn't really given any. Specific. Oh, okay. Well, I guess maybe budget cuts. Were, I don't know. I didn't really even listen when that two of. I, it's funny actually because so much of this happened around golf. I was standing on the first tee. I was literally getting ready to tee off to, to play eighteen holes when I got the call, and it was like, I when I, I looked at it, it's a two hundred three number. I'm like, eh, I know what this is, right? So I just I answered it, and I'm like, I like I said, I'm getting ready to tee off, so I'm just like, yeah, whatever, dude. You know, like I, okay, thank you. Yep, appreciate it. All right, yep, thanks. Have a good day didn't really listen to it like hey i know what's happening here i don't need to i know i'm going to be fed lip service it's not like you're going to give me some profound instance of like hey you, you messed up on this day doing this no like you know you guys don't ever tell anybody anything anyways so you're just going to tell me whatever you want me to hear or whatever the case may be around you know that the release like it may be different for some people i don't know but um yeah, I think budget cuts has been the thing that they've used since my pool for all the subsequent pools, right? And that's a yeah. how do you how do you argue with that or whatever, right? There's no like, okay, you, know, you guys are cutting budgets, so cool. Like, thanks for the opportunity, you know. Right, right. So as we hit the wind down, we head towards the finish here. What do you think about present day Otis with the shaved beard, having kind of no character almost? trying to be like uncharismatic what do you think about the change in otis because this is kind of not the otis well i mean this guy fucking just oozes natural charisma you know so he is a special human being like he's just special i get that you know he's has charisma and droves way more than i ever did i think the company didn't didn't realize exactly how much i allowed him to just be himself and how much i could pick all the things like where kind of what his areas of, of most lacking are my best areas and my areas of most lacking are his best areas. And so neither of us had to try to do anything outside of the realm of just what we were capable of doing really well in order to make that thing work. You know, it's like, look, like I'm pretty articulate. I can speak really quickly and get a lot of information out really fast. I can slow down and hit some major points if I need to. And so you just, we won't trip you at all, dude. You just be you. You just be a wild man. Do whatever you want to do. Like, I'll tell you when I'm going to say what I'm going to say. And and you just be yourself. And I'll just react to you. And and it'll 
it'll work and it'll be natural. And so, you know, I think obviously, you know, he, he thrived in that more than I did because he was running the comebacks. Right. And so he was kind of getting those, those moments at the end. And when we were in NXT, we used to trade off back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And when we started there, you know, the, his, the worm and the shakes and stuff, they were getting over. So it just made sense to keep doing it like that. And, you know, in my mind, I'm like, Hey, we're going to have a three or four year run. So like, let's just get as much mileage out of this as we can. And then when it comes time for you to take the heat meter on the comeback, then we'll flip flop it. And we have plenty of that stuff in the chamber. Like we've done that a bunch of times. We can do that whenever it's time. We tried to do that one time. Vince hated it. was like, Nope, he's, he don't take the heat anymore. He runs the comeback. So it was like, okay, well from here, and this is probably maybe six, seven months after we moved up. Right. So from then going forward, it's kind of known, okay, Otis has got to run the comeback and that sort of handcuffs us a little bit just in, in our kind of creative freedom, what stories we're able to tell, you know, because we're just not able to kind of both, whatever. So, um, you know, yeah, I mean, I guess I kind of went on a long winded thing there about his new character, but, um, (laughs) I mean, my hope is that they had him do this so that he can ultimately, when there's people come back around and be who he's meant to be. Um, I think if that's, if that's what they're going for, then, you know, it's, I, I don't have any problem with it. And I think it could ultimately, work out well for him. I mean, he, look, he, he's a very talented guy. Like I think he can pull off big, bad heel also. Is it like, is there as much money in that as there is in happy go lucky Otis? I don't think so. No, but, um, you know, I, yeah, I mean, obviously I wish you could go back from a year from now and not have perpetrated all of the things that you perpetrated on this guy for, for what, you know, for what reasons that you like, have him in the most over story with the girl and then just have them go their separate ways and not do that. And then, you know, have one of the best, you know, I, I mean, I don't know that we were the most over tag team, but I would, I would have to say we were in the top three during, you know, kind of the peak of our, of our run there. Look, I mean, right before the pandemic happened, literally the week before we go 55 minutes on TV on Friday night before elimination chamber like legit we're on tv for 55 minutes doing the gauntlet match you know and then we have objectively what i think is pretty good performance at elimination chamber you know this goes out i come off the top of the deal like there's some you know and to me i think we're going to get right back in the tag team championship pictures right after that and then the world shuts down yeah and and you know things go crazy and um you know i mean the I think the biggest issue or one of the biggest issues inside of the company in general is a lack of long-term someone overseeing the big picture. Like from what I've, I saw there, there's, there's not really anyone who's like custodial job. It is to oversee the big picture. It's very week to week. And sometimes it's even shorter time frame than week to week. Right. I mean, it's like, Yes, it's week to week, but the discussions we're having with with upper management is like about the break spot and how we're going to keep people to watch through the break spot, you know, and it's like, all right, well, I get what you guys are trying to do here to have a compelling break spot. But like to me, if you want people to keep watching through the break, then you need to get them emotionally invested in what's happening and then they'll stay through the break. It's not like some crazy spot at the end of the commercial. You're like, Oh my God, I have to come back to see how that happened. No, like everybody's already on the outside of the ring and crashed down. You know how it happened. You just watched it. There's no anticipation there. So, you know, I think that 
permeates itself through a lot of a lot of things and and kind of manifests in a lot of issues. But to me, that's sort of the big crux of it is just you know there's you have you have a lack of long term big picture planning, and that's sort of like left to talent to take over that. And you know, talent only have so much power. Yeah. Now. With you, we talked a little bit about what the future has in store for you. But DDP would say, you know, what are you looking for in a few years down the road? It's a good DDP question. Like, where do you see yourself in a few years? So where do you see yourself, not in the immediate future, because we talked about it, like, let's say 2022 beyond, where do you, where do you see yourself? Yeah, so um, a lot of the work that I've been doing at home has been, I've been, you know, the work that I've been doing on myself, I've been I've been journeying, journaling a lot of that work. I've been writing it down. Um I, I, I've always had big aspirations to coach and mentor. Um, and so I'm, uh, I'm in the process of trying to set up a self-care platform. Um, so my wife makes candles and, uh, um, she just been doing that recently, but they're, you know, kind of candles around like chakra candles and, uh, just different things around meditation. Um, so that's kind of what I've been trying to set up. I, I haven't exactly figured out how, like, so I've started a YouTube channel. I've been uh, on Twitch at Levi Cooper live is where you can find me on Twitch. Um, so far I've just been playing video games on there, but that's been mainly just to try to figure out the platform. I've been using Streamlabs and just kind of trying to like get better at the sort of computer literacy in the short term that I've maybe neglected some over my time pro wrestling for WWE. Um, and so ultimately kind of, I want to use my, my pro wrestling going forward to promote this kind of self-care platform. Right. And, and it's not going to be anything that's like talks about any crazy stuff. Just to me, the things that are not discussed, particularly in this country, because they're not that profitable. If you can get people to do, to do it for themselves, then, then they can take care of themselves and you can't make money on them over and over and over again. Right. And so to me, a lot of healthcare and a lot of, um, workouts and nutrition is all like it's capitalism in America. So they're designed to make money, not necessarily designed to make you as healthy as possible. Um, so, you know, see basic things like drinking 28 to 32 ounces of water in the morning before you wake up in the first half an hour, you know, like, I don't know very many people to do that. That's like, can have profound health impacts. It's such a simple thing, but if you can get in the routine of doing it, it's amazing. Right. And then on top of that, okay, can you meditate? Can you find 15 minutes a day to meditate? Can you find 30 minutes a day to stretch? Like, and trying to basically find a way to, to encourage people to do those things. And then to try to figure out a way to help them set up systems in their own life so that they can, they can have those things going forward. Um, to me, it's sort of about, um, you know, this is a very much a cliche, but you got to fill up your cup before you can pass it out to other people. Um, and so to me, it's about trying to find, you know, 30 to 45 minutes to an hour a day, every day where you can find a routine to fill up your cup. So some, some form of self-care and self-management so that you're not just burning the wick from both ends all the time, you know, and all of a sudden you're 20 years down the road and, you know, it's like my old man, your glutes not firing properly and you're, you can't barely walk, you know, and now you like got grandkids and, and now you know, if my dad wants to get back to being healthy, it's going to be lots and lots of work for him. I'm going to help him do that work and I'm going to help him get there. But, you know, I, I took inventory as a 30 year old of, of how my parents, you know, were and sort of, um, the things, 
that I want to be able to do moving forward and, and what that needs to look like on a daily basis for me in order to achieve those things. And, and, um, so, you know, I feel like I've, I've really gotten a pretty good grasp on those things over the last six months for myself. And, and I know my world's going to be turned upside down as I have a new baby coming. Right. And so that's why I've also just kind of allowed, like my wife is starting this new job. So I'm just allowing myself the space to figure out how to kind of readjust my routines once the baby comes and then how to just continually, you know, I've just been, like I said, journaling and getting all this information down and it's, you know, I'm going to put it all out there. I haven't figured out exactly, exactly how, you know, it may, obviously I'll do some videos and that'll be the place I start. You know, I, there may ultimately be some articles that I've found that, you know, I have written in, in my journal entries. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, I think as a kind of two or three year plan for me and my family going forward, that's going to be the sort of, you know, perpetual system that I'm going to try to set up for myself. Um, and, and like I said, use pro wrestling to sort of promote that. Um, you know, I've been floating around the idea of as a moving forward character for myself, Levi Cooper, force of nature, um, and sort of just the character explores um, you know, the contrast that exists in nature between the serene, the calm, the peaceful, um, you know, and, and that being able to manifest that self and my manifest those things in my own life, right. And understand of, you know, just taking the time to be in that. Right. But then at the flip of a coin, nature becomes super violent, super tumultuous, very dangerous. And, uh, and so, yeah, as a wrestling character, I think, and as just who I am as a human being, that's going to kind of be the pillar for what I'm I'm trying to build. Um, you know, amateur wrestling will be the foundation of that pillar, right? I think there's some people that know me as Tucker and don't know that, hey, like I was a top 10 heavyweight in this country for three years, like push comes to shove. I'm kind of a bad man. Um, and uh, you know, I feel like I want to remind some, some people of that. I would like to remind the public that, Hey, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I like to have a good time. I like to smile. I like to laugh. I like to be peaceful and calm. I like to enjoy life, but at the same token, every now and then I like a little bit of violence. You know, I, I right. like to beat people up with my hands. That's the way that I pay for my college. I like doing those things. I enjoy forcing the abilities that I've created for myself onto other people. And, you know, so just kind of continue to do, to explore and find, you know, different ways to, you know, present that character, I guess, too, is, is kind of uh, another piece of what I've been working on. Nice. Love it. Good stuff there. Where else can everybody find you as far as social media wise? I know you mentioned your Twitch, but the YouTube page and uh, Twitter handle, Instagram, all that fun stuff. Yeah. So uh, Instagram and Twitter, I'm at real Levi Cooper. Um, and you could find in, in either of those bios, there's a booking email book Levi Cooper at mail.com. So if you're listening to this and uh, you know, I'm going to book me for some signings or a little interview, maybe a couple of matches in 2022, hit me up looking forward to all that kind of stuff. And then, yeah, if you want to uh, kind of interact with me in the in the short term, uh, Twitch is the best place to do that. That's at Levi Cooper Live on Twitch. Um, and my YouTube channel doesn't have anything on it yet, but it's Cooper Self Care is the name of that YouTube channel. Um, 
and there'll be some content coming out probably in the next few months on there. Like I said, I'm just, I'm still working on the content and trying to figure out exactly what I want that to be, but that'll be the place to find it when it, uh, when it ultimately comes to fruition. All right. Awesome stuff. Levi, great stuff. Good luck in the future with everything, but thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thanks, John. Appreciate you, man. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two Man Power Trip, where the power lies brother.